Dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. What is going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to the 817 Podcast. We've been off probably longer than we've ever been off for a, for a podcast show. We feel fresh. We're back in action. Jimmy and EJ in the house talking about the lovely city of Fort Worth. We talking politics. We talking culture. We talking business. Everything we care about in city. Jimmy, how goes it? I'm doing well. I guess we're more welcoming ourselves back than welcoming everybody else Hell back, yeah. too. Uh, yeah. How about you? How, how's everything been going? Good. I, uh, I went camping, uh, the big Ben, uh, with my dad and my brother, big Ben's awesome. If you, if people have never done it, it's like a treasure in Texas. Oh yeah. Um, so it was in big Ben for a whole week. That was a whole week. Off and the then, grid. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one was work. Um, but it's good to be back. Um, shout out to everyone who still reached out and like kind of talked about missing an episode or I don't know what I'm going to do without the podcast. That was really cool. Um, but I also voted this weekend. Did you vote it yet? Yeah, I went and voted on, I think, Tuesday. It felt busier. It did. I was very surprised that I was not the only one in there. Yeah, when me and my wife went, there was like only like two, three open setups. Like there was, and like when we left, like people were coming in and taking those. It felt active. Yeah, 100%. Um, Well, and that's... Kind of what we're going to talk about with our first short story is a little bit of an update now that we are five days until early voting ends. Uh, So Tarrant County is already at like 11% voter turnout, which I would say is pretty solid, higher than I would expect for the first week of early voting. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we're looking at the data from the Texas Tribune um, and it kind of it kind of talked about comparing it to 2018 and 2019. Uh, and, and so like, if you look at here, Jimmy, you see like it says 11.7 turnout so far on 2022. Um, 2020 early voting was 57.3% of the vote, which then in my mind is like, I guess this second week is where everyone, mm-hmm. you know, we're all classic procrastinators. Yeah. And so we do the last week. Um, so that was interesting to me uh, on that piece. But all in all, it seems like right, you said 7.7 million registered voters compared to 17 million. So we have 700,000 more voters in the state uh, of Texas. Um, how do you feel about it all, though? Any any data or insights or things that you feel like you you are you more depressed about it or you just uh, feel like there's any hope? Um, I got a little hope, but I'll share it to you in a little bit. Who, yeah, where my hope will come from. I feel like you in general are the more hopeful one on this i i'm more of the like absolutely pessimist like uh defeatist almost um but we still go out and uh, do our part so like not totally defeated uh so i i don't know i'm just like I would say governor, I don't have a ton of hope, but I'm very interested to see how the Mike Collier race goes. Mm -hmm. And you've thrown out the stat a few times over the last couple months about the number of states that are controlled by one party. And uh, I am very interested to see if Mike Collier can pull that out. I think that's a, a win for texas whichever side you're on just that we can start to say that we're not just a one party state yeah yeah um if you kind of look at this the the breakdown of kind of our counties there's 254 counties and 214 of them um how how texas tribune kind of ranks it is is just solid red like they you know, red to the core, you know, like the Montgomery um, County, Lubbock County. Uh, and then they, they had the big blue counties, which was Harris, Barron, Dallas, and Travis. And I, I find it interesting that the fast changing counties uh, that they that they had another uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And Tarrant was in that group. So we weren't seen as the big blue because we are purple. Uh, but the fast changing counties are interesting because. I, I guess I don't know much about Fort Bend or Hayes or Williamson, but Denton and Collin, I mean, those still seem ultra red. And I mean, Collin for sure gives yeah, me ultra red vibes. For sure. Um, so, um, yeah, we're on positive, and 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 this is more local positivity. Is um, 
one we're, we're we're early voting faster as a as a county mm-hmm. uh than last time um but two is i think the tarrant four which i'm going to mess up who's in this tarrant four but it's the four black female women who are running for mm. different local positions yeah clayton i believe is one um and, and there, there's just this core four and, and i think their strategy around um mobilizing together um you know, you're going to hear from our interview later, uh, just the power of community and the power of understanding black culture. But you have four black women running um, and then they decide to run collaboratively and collectively. So mm-hmm. all their marketing's on point. All of their stuff's on point. They all have long legacies in this area. That's four strong people who are going to be able to get a lot of community out from their 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 organizations, their churches, their families, their, you know, their their network. Um which to me could possibly save a Deborah. Yeah. You know, cause, um, these are the, those are the things that's probably the most thing I'm excited for is Tarrant four. Um, um, and it's, uh, how that four uh, the four politicians have been able to work together, collaborate, um, and get people excited to vote for them. Um, because they're not the biggest races. So a lot of us don't even know what their positions do mm-hmm. on a regular basis, but they have done a, such an excellent job of 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 mobilizing especially for someone who's oftentimes in this uh in 76104 76103 area uh, i think they're doing a great job yeah well it's definitely something that we will continue to talk about the next couple of weeks you know next week will be just before election day and then the week after we'll have the results and get to talk through what that means going forward so if you aren't following the Texas Tribune, Texas 2022 election turnout tracker, it's a great resource that is more user-friendly than the Tarrant County website is. So I would highly recommend uh, getting on there and being able to follow things locally and statewide. Love it. All right. So we're going to go into our second story, um, which it is just, uh, I mean, the police enforcement of of fort worth and tarrant county just continue to uh just be a debacle and if anything shows that they are being a debacle um all the um systemic progressive changes that they quote unquote were attempting to make just shows that they're they're failing at at a core so the first one the first one uh that i wanted to really hit on is that um not enough law enforcement officers have been using a relatively new mental health diversion center meant to keep people arrested on minor violations out of jail. Um, so what has happened is that during a commissioner court meeting, Tarrant County Judge Glenn Whitley pointed to a star telegram report of the recent death of an inmate who has been arrested on criminal trespass. Uh, this was a lower level charge that could be considered for a diversion center, but yet um on Monday, the Star-Telegram reported that a 65-year-old Kenneth Ray Perry died in jail two days after he was arrested September 27th on a charge of criminal trespassing. Um, Perry's autopsy is pending, uh, but I found it. This is just a, another example how we have all these, because of George Floyd, because of um, just younger people activating more, us keeping police officers more accountable, Um Things like this mental health diversion center is a project and a and a and a path of trying to do something different. Yet the 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 current system didn't take it serious, doesn't take it seriously, and continues to have people dying in prison. And I can't imagine going to jail for trespassing to then get to be to die. That's my actual sentence. Is that I'm no longer here. Yeah, and how poor must the conditions be in that jail to kill you in two days and like we know that the hands are in the cookie jar when it comes to autopsies like yeah i can you really believe what whatever this autopsy comes out and says um but it it is really really sad to see the continued degradation of people put into Fort Worth and Tarrant County jails and prisons when alternatives are there for 
police to use, and they're choosing not to use them. And that kind of leads into our second story amongst this, is that the Bureau of Prisons still will not respond to questions about sexual assault at FMC Carswell. Like, this is something that the Star-Telegram has been digging into for a long time now. Um, It's something that Mark Vesey has come out and tried to get investigation into, and they can't get anybody to respond to it. And we see these conditions continually uh, enforced and kind of doubled down on. And it's just a, I feel like, Fort Worth and Tarrant County police and sheriff systems are just in a very, very bad place. Yeah, I mean, we're going to continue here. I mean, you have another progressive decision that the Fort Worth police uh, committee made was having a director of office of police oversight, uh, officer of police oversight monitor, um, to set up a similar program to states like Virginia. Um, but however, um, the the inaugural position was Kim Neal. Kim Neal has done a lot of interviews and a lot of things around the city. Um, but Kim Neal has left her position in Fort Worth uh, and only really been there not even a year. So uh, another, so we're not using mental health services. We're not keeping it a place for uh Kim Neal, who's a black female who's leading your office of police oversight monitor, um, is unable to do their job and so is now leaving. Um, so there's another thing. And like you said, we have them ignoring the the Fort Worth prison, uh, Carswell. Carswell. Um, so what else do we have? I mean, yeah, I... I was really hoping I think that Chief Noakes has done a really good job of holding officers accountable in ways that they haven't been before. And we see that with a police lieutenant was fired this week uh, after being found to have consumed alcohol while on duty. There is another officer this week who was terminated uh, after being charged with assault over the summer. Um, and so I would truly like I I do see and appreciate where Chief Noakes is making strides in trying to get that old culture out of the police department. But when it comes to the task force on race and culture that was uh, formed in 2017, I think um we're we're still not really seeing the the strides on those recommendations and i know it's a it's a big task to take on changing the culture of an organization like that but when we're also seeing that the resources available aren't being used to their fullest potential i i think it is good to question and call that out yeah um but on the same side, Chief Noakes did. We 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 have a confirmation that he went to where was it Arkansas with the, yeah, with on the, the private jet on the private jet Sasha Bass's private jet. What is your take there? What is your thoughts there? This is honestly the only update about the David Cook story. And let's be clear: we took two weeks off. It sounds like everyone else took two weeks off on talking about David Cook. It has been ghosted. The, they the journalists like Star Telegram and Fort Worth Report must be so scared because this Sunday they posted about cowboys and rodeos. That's how scared we are to talk about David Cook. I don't know what happened. We have no update besides that Chief Noakes is uh also has joined the private jet. Yeah. We need it. We need like a bill of lading of the people that have been carried on the the bass private jet. Um, you ever see Soul Plane with Snoop Dogg? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Cowtown version of Soul Plane. <laughs> that should be the next movie we make because we like making movies about cowboy culture. So, Cowtown Soul Plane, <laughs> Taylor Sheridan now directing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, what's your take on that? Like, what's your? You think that's? I mean, yeah, I I'm just gonna fall in the bucket of like no public official should ever go on a private citizen's private jet. Um, and, uh, 
you know, like he was going up to something in Arkansas. Like this was even less I would say this was more like business and duty oriented than the plane to Aspen. Yeah. But still like. I don't know, paid five thousand dollars for him to fly first class up to Arkansas. I like even that would be yeah. better than flying on the billionaire's private jet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all in all, like, what's the how do we wrap this story up for people? Right. Like, how do we just we just hit like four updates about our police system. What's kind of the take? I think it's really important to continue calling out and holding accountable the criminal justice system because that is where the vast majority of our taxpayer money goes to and like anybody who has a budget and is working off of a budget you should be critical of the things that you are spending the most money on and that's not stopping at starbucks that's not your avocado toast that's for the city and for the county our police and criminal justice systems and so if they are not serving us if they are as mayor parker would say we would rather fund cops than fund the community then we need to make sure that they are being held accountable yeah no that's well well said and uh, i appreciate it and this is why voting and like the local stuff really matters like because the most of the dollars that you invest in your city Goes to these people. Goes to Bill Wayburn. All right. We right. could have gotten rid of him. Yeah. And most of us voted. Now, so whenever anyone says, why should you vote locally? Be like, well, because 60% of the money you give and your taxes goes to the local officials mm -hmm. who are running your police systems, your fire departments, your water, uh, and all those things. So let's go ahead and go into another important topic, and that is apartments. Yeah, so this is, a, I would say, a pretty big national story that has local implications. Nine of the country's largest property management companies are being sued after a ProPublica investigation found a Richardson-based company was behind unprecedented rate hike, rent hikes at many apartment complexes, which includes a number of properties in Fort Worth. So the Richardson-based company is RealPage, which basically operates as a way for apartment complexes to determine what they should be charging in rent. And the investigation has found that RealPage allows large investment companies, large apartment uh, complex companies, to work together in raising the cost of rent across the country. I mean, the fact that, one, there was this investigation, and two, they feel like they have enough to file a class action lawsuit against RealPage. It was filed in a U.S. district court in San Diego uh, less than a week after the investigation was published, October 15th. That, who knows if it goes anywhere, but... Four of the nine companies own more than 60 apartment complexes in and around Fort Worth, like Graystar Real Estate Partners, which owns Encore Panther Island. Yeah, and it, in a time where we are talking about housing, uh, entering into a housing crisis, having been in a housing crisis because of the cost of apartments, I would say, like, this isn't shocking news to learn. Like we can all see this from the outside, but the fact that there might actually be some potential consequences for people in power and greedy people like this, that's a, a thing that gets me excited. Yeah. Um, we're also having a lot of growth in other areas and, and who knows like how we're just talking apartments. You have hotels are growing and booming. And, and I, I saw the Dallas morning news story around how Dallas Fort Worth leads in new apart, uh, new, new hotels in the area. So I wonder how that even plays a play um, as well. And um, all of this, because I know big, big 
companies do a little bit of both, but they can also um, have branches of investments. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, and RealPage said, obviously put out a statement disagreeing with the conclusion. They said there is a housing supply shortage and that alone drives prices higher. The company strongly denies the allegations and will vigorously defend against the lawsuit. The housing supply shortage is also being caused by you because you are pricing people out of being able to rent. So that's like saying I made something cost too much so now i can charge you more for it because there's a shortage of it that you can afford like it doesn't make any sense yeah 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 100 you're right you're right um well we'll kind of kind of keep up on this and shout out to pro pro publica for uh being an awesome source and doing some real work around this kind of topic it's an interesting time because i don't know what your thoughts are on like where the economy is headed and, and where things are going we're not economists or things like that but i mean I, I saw a story recently how credit card debt is now at uh pre-pandemic le- levels so mm-hmm. during the pandemic a lot of people reduced their credit card debt spending but now the level is is at the same today so are these higher spikes um having to live off of debt because now savings mm-hmm. from the pandemic is is dwindling it's an interesting time and I hope that apartment complexes bleed. I hope they yeah. I hope they hurt in pain because they deserve most of what's happening in the world. Um here at the eight one seven, we're very into hoping that bad things happen to bad people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And especially greedy capitalists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who think they're brilliant for just owning land and upselling it. Yeah. Like, like you didn't in- invent anything, you know. So anyways, uh, well, let's get to the big story. Yeah. All right. So hit it, Jimmy. All right. We are excited for this interview today. We have a name you might be familiar with if you've been following the 817 for a while as she ran for Texas 6 and for a city council seat in 2021. But we have Sean Lassiter, who is a nonprofit leader, mom, former science teacher, uh, Democrat HBCU grad who now runs the nonprofit Braver Together. Braver Together declares that our community will no longer address issues of race and racism in silos. We will brave race together, breaking the silence on the root causes of systemic inequities in communities of color requires all of us to listen, learn, and lead towards transformation. The Organization is focused around inequity in the 76104 zip code and it is putting on their first inaugural Phoenix Festival upcoming the second weekend of November. And we've got all the details for you. So here is Sean. My Fort Worth story is I moved here. I'm a, I'm a implant transplant um, that was lucky enough for the community to accept me and love me as their own. And so about 10 or 11 years ago, I moved here. Um, new opportunities, new jobs, and just very different from where I'm from. I'm from Florida. I went to school in Alabama, Alabama State University. And just kind of used to that culture. And Texas was just different. Um, But I stay here and I'm still here today because of the people. I really love the people of Fort Worth. I can't speak for all the other cities around. (laughs) Fort Worth um, has really stolen my heart. I love the mix of people. I love the culture. Um, I love the challenge. I love the community. um, And that we're kind of in it together. Good, bad, and different. We just kind of fight this thing out together. And I'm really blessed to be a part of a community like that. So that's my Fort Worth story. And my 76104 story is kind of the same. You know, being an educator, working in the school district here, got to know a lot of people, got to know a lot of families. Um, And most of the people that I knew either were from 76104 or 76105 and just kind of adopted me as their own. So it's been really amazing to be here in Fort Worth. I love it. Now, um, tell us about like what you're up to now uh, with uh, Braver Together, how how it started. It says, you know, you were the founder of this thing. So can you kind of give us 
the the creation of it and and why it's needed here in Fort Worth? Yeah. Well, it really, I started off just with braver and, and the word really means it's brave slash R because during the time um, of 2020 and before 2020, I was doing a lot of racial equity work in the district. And it was this kind of call that we must brave race together. And we just shortened it and it became braver. Um, and that became like a, a framework and a platform that I helped organizations, school districts, and people really navigate race, racism, and racial equity in education and in service. Um, but then 2020 happened, right? And so it's like everything got heightened, including the need that that our communities, and particularly Black and Brown communities, were in dire need of support. Um, and this just amplified. We know this has been the legacy of Black and Brown communities, but Braver Together became this call um, that we all must kind of carry this together and we will come together. We will brave race together. We will work on racial equity, no matter what it looked like. And sometimes it looks like policies and sometimes it looks like getting in the community and rolling your sleeves up. And so the mantra, this idea of braver together, you know, was really birthed out of that. The organization um, became pretty solid and started to build out um, about 2021, when Leah King, the CEO of United Way, and I were having a conversation, and she and I would talk a lot about, you know, our charge to Fort Worth and Tarrant County, and um, seven six one zero four, and y'all did a podcast right about the low life expectancy. That article came out and was such a big deal, and a lot of funders and people with good hearts wanted to give money to kind of help this issue. Um, but what I've, I guess, known in this work is that if money isn't, you know, strategically, you know, invested mm -hmm. in and have some type of collective impact plan, it doesn't really go as far as we would have liked it to go. And so Lee and I came together and talked about what that looked like. And so I created Braver Together as an organization to bring community members together to talk about these issues and to direct these funds and then as we began to build that momentum, we would bring in other people throughout the community. And so that's where we are, like phase two, this festival, right, is bringing more people into the fold to raise awareness around the low life expectancy, but also to provide resources and to think of innovative solutions to one, solve this issue, but also amplify the joy that our communities have um, and that aren't able to really express. So that's kind of the evolution of, of Braver Together. Yeah. Can you tell us more about Phoenix Festival and, uh, you know, the details, who can come, how people can be involved? Uh, it seems like it's a really cool big event coming up. Yeah. No, we're super excited. So when um, we got together, we, we first started with an ambassador program where we put out applications and said, if you live, work, play, or own a business or grew up in 76104 and you want to be an ambassador of Braver Together, um, kind of come together and fill out these applications. So we got applications and we got some amazing people who have 15 ambassadors who started this journey. And one of their thoughts were, we really need to find a way to bring people together in a setting um, that really uh, raises that awareness and, and, you know, celebrates community joy. And so that's how the Phoenix Fest came. And I got to say this because it was really cool. So we did this thing where everyone went around and just said one word that they wanted this festival like to be or an outcome of it. And we got things like rebirth and renaissance before Beyonce dropped renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it must have been in the air, but it was like rebirth, renaissance, you know, rising above. And then we wrote down all those words and we came up with Phoenix. It was mm. just perfect. And it was this idea that we're not rising out of flames and all of that, but really rising through hope and inspiration and positivity. Because, you know, in this journey of fighting for justice, it can be hard. And oftentimes the joy is lost in that fight. And so we wanted to kind of recenter joy again while focusing on healthcare justice. So that's what this festival is about. It's about healthcare justice and community joy. And that's what you're going to see in our um, you know, time together. So Friday night, we're going to have a dinner on Evans. 
and it's going to be beautiful and we're going to celebrate our elders and we're going to have this moment that really will launch our Saturday event so people can buy tickets for the the dinner as well but that Saturday starting off at eight o'clock in the morning there will be a 5k fun run that you can register um, with the Lenora Rala Museum. They're kind of leading that charge. They've been doing it for years. So we just partnered with them to support them in whatever way that we could. So you'll have the race from eight to 10. And then at 10 o'clock, we'll open up the festival and it will be a farmer's market where people can get fresh produce and free groceries because we know that that area is a food desert. And so really bringing that um, element to the festival. And then you'll have all kinds of healthcare services for free. I mean, screenings, vaccinations, you know, massage adjustments. I mean, anything you can think about, we will turn the plaza into this kind of healthcare utopia in terms of you can get it all for free. Um, and so the ambassadors have been leading that way. And then we'll have resources that you can pick up too. Um, some people just need things for their family during like the holiday season, diapers, wipes, um, household cleaning items, jackets, gloves. So we'll have a whole area for that. Um, we'll also have an area for like fitness and working out. So cycling, strength and conditioning, yoga um, will be happening with one of our ambassadors who name is Tony. Um, he is um, one of our ambassadors and he's a trainer. So he will kind of be leading that area to help people get healthy. And then we'll have a kid's corner. So everybody can be a kid this day. I think this is going to be the biggest like section of the festival because, you know, this idea of like play and having fun as a community, um, we don't see it enough of. So we want to see that. And it's this huge kid's corner where kids and adults can come and play, but it's designed for kids. Um, they'll have a gaming um, truck. I know adults will fight them for that. Um, <laughs> And they'll also have like, you know, jumpy houses, um, green space will come and create a playground for the younger kids made out of recycled items. So it's just going to we're just going to turn that plaza into an oasis for a day. Right. An opportunity for us to all come together, you know, get that awareness around healthcare and um, and then some community joy. And then that night we're shutting it down. It's going to be lots of um Music, um, artists will be coming out, local artists will be coming out to perform, and we'll have what we call the taste of 76104. So we'll have a different a lot of different restaurants and chefs when you come and kind of just dabble a little bit. So awesome. And like this sounds like a, a full event with a lot of different ways for us to get involved. Right. Which parts like is there a ticket for some people? Is it free from what areas? What what areas is you know, for people who may, I know you have some awesome benefits uh, for people who live directly in 76104, yeah. but for, for us around 76104, how can uh, we get involved uh, in different parts of it? Yeah, thank you for that question. So if you live in 76104, please go to bravertogether.org backslash Phoenix so that you can register for the event. Because when you register for the event, we can ensure that you get all of the free items you know, first and get everything that you need because that is our mission, right? To provide those resources for that community. Historic Southside, Morningside, and Hillside. The festival is free to everyone in terms of coming. I mean, you can come, um, but if you live there, you will have some vouchers or some tickets to get things free and to get whatever you want. For us, you know, that live outside the perimeter, please come and, you know, support those local gardens and farms. They're, they will have produce, for sale cool. for uh, people to come and purchase that produce, but everything else you can participate in. It's free. So all of the fitness, all of the um, healthcare resources, uh, all of that is, is free for everybody. So Super I know awesome. it's like, yeah, it's like when you're trying to focus on equity, it can get kind of complicated. Cause you're like, how do you actually do that in a way that really promotes equity? Right. Mm -hmm. And this community really um, needs resources that are given to them um, in a way that's substantial. So we want to make sure that everyone who lives in those three communities get those resources. But we also want to invite the space to everybody to come, have some community joy, spend time together, focus on health um, together. So that's that's the Phoenix Fest. So if you live there, please register. Everybody else show up and enjoy. Yeah. Well, definitely excited and, uh, you know, 
looking forward to the festival. Uh, you know, to me, what's exciting about all of this, um, and just looking at the level of ambassadors that you have in the org, um, and just the team you have, uh, it just seems like a very promising thing. And I think something that, you know, I always worry for seven, six, one Oh four is, you know, because of that big research about life expectancy, it's kind of become the brand, right? It's like, Oh, seven, six, one Oh four. When you think about it, you think of this like negative connotation and like, what is it like for kids and, and, and adults to live in 76104? And the thing is, oh, yeah, we live in a place where you die earlier than everyone else. And so what is what does joy, what does what does um, the new brand of 76104 looks like um, as you guys continue to do your work? And even the other people who are who are ambassador Ian ing, I just made that yeah. a word. But, you know, what are <laughs> what does it look like when you are doing y'all's work at the end of the day? No, I think that's beautiful that you said that. Not a lot of people like are willing to dig that deep and say, how can we shape a narrative that makes people proud of where they live? And the truth is, is that if you're from 764104, oh, yeah. if you're from um, historic Southside, Morningside, Hillside, you're proud of it. OK, so I think that's a misconception, right, is that. Um, that people aren't proud of where they live. Mm -hmm. Now the outside narrative is what we want to make sure that we control because the truth is 76104 is big and there's a highway that splits that zip code. Mm -hmm. And only the east side is, is where the numbers are really concentrated, right? Mm -hmm. Where the black and brown community lives is where you see those dismal numbers because on the other side, it's wealthy community and it's the hospital district. Mm -hmm. So you have these very like two very different, um, I guess, images of 76104. So community joy is so important because, and I, I was raised in a black community. I know what joy looks like and it and for us, right? It is the coming together. It's the eating together. It's the having fun together. It's listening to music together. It's sharing the truth about reality together. And so we just want to amplify that. So the ambassadors are doing it every day because they most of them live there or own a business there or grew up there. So they know this community deeply. And so raising the true narrative of 76104 isn't hard because they're leading the way. Mm -hmm. um, if there were outside people doing it, maybe that would be tough trying to find that, you know, that rebranding. But they are the brand. And mm -hmm. so if you go to our website, you can see the ambassadors and many people know them. And so they lead with joy. They lead with truth. Um, they are very hungry and interested in finding ways to ensure their community is um, healthier and living longer. And so we're doing it together. But I think that's important that we center joy, um, especially in times like this. I mean, it's time to center to joy and justice. But joy is a big piece that I think our community is is hungry for again. What exactly do the ambassadors do? That's a good question. So we our ambassadors are divided up into four areas. So some of them focus on education. Some of them focus on health care. Some of them focus on business and economic development. And some of them focus on housing. So depending on their kind of their expertise or how they come to this work, that's how they're divided up. And last year, they spent an entire year hosting roundtables mm. where they will bring people in to hear from their neighbors, their community about what do they want to see happen in education? What do they feel like the barriers are currently? Um, and, you know, how do we want to fix it? And so last year, that's what it was. I mean, we just did a bunch of roundtables and then we took that data and kind of this year is our action plan. So building those collaboratives. So the ambassadors talk to the community, they bring people together, they spread awareness, they're trained on certain things. Um, like last Saturday, it was their meeting and we had four doctors come in, talk to them about healthcare and, um, and healthy living so that they can then go out and then you know share that perspective and that information with other community members. So they do a lot. It's so hard when you're trying to snip it into a little bit, but they are true ambassadors of this work of 76104 and of the increasing of the life expectancy of the community. Yeah. Um, what is, uh, so, you know, you kind of mentioned how 76104 has the highway through it and, and you have a whole different dynamic on the other side of the highway. Um, what is the concerns of the 
or 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 the collaboration between the both sides. I mean, because seven six one zero four over there didn't always look like that. Um, and I know how are we being. I guess, how do you guys think about being thoughtful of how we build up as Fort Worth continue to grow? We're building more ho- uh, apartments. We're building more, um, I guess, housing. Uh, so it's just, it's, it, it's to me kind of this protective gold that you, you guys are supporting. Um, but, you know, it's the last part of the loop that maybe, yeah. you know, needs uh, that people might look at space to embark on rather than realizing what's already there that is so beautiful. That's right. I mean, um, that's why it's called Braver Together. We understand that in order to really address this issue, we all have to be a part of it. And that includes the other side of the highway. Mm-hmm. The good part about it is that they are they have been amazing. So near Southside, many people know and have um, been a part of their work over there with Mike and Megan doing some amazing things in near Southside. And they have been such amazing partners you know, in this work, but especially in this festival, because they know what it's like mm. and they are bought in. And um, I send an email with them daily uh, asking questions or I need you to help me with this. <laughs> and they don't hesitate. And so that's what you need. You need both collaborating together. And so I think for me, it's if I'm lucky enough to be a bridge between the two, Um we can do a lot of things. And I think everybody's open to that. Every side of the highway is open to coming together. Now, the success of that was having a ambassador, Katrina Carpenter, who she has a restaurant. She's a black woman, understands the black community and been a part of it all of her life. Also though, like has a restaurant on the other side of the highway and is a part of near South side. So she was very instrumental in saying, okay, if I'm going to be here, we've all got to play together, work together, be Mm. together because this is important. And so she started that initial, like coming together, both groups to do this work. That's the key without an ambassador who who sits in both of those seats. It makes it really difficult for us to begin to bridge and collaborate. And so she was able to do that in a way that was authentic, that was real, um, that came with both perspectives. And so we've been working with them, um, doing an amazing job. Now I would like to see more collaboration between us and the hospitals. I know the hospitals are overwhelmed and there's a lot going on, but if we're going to address this issue, I mean, we have to have the healthcare system deeply uh, a part of it. And so I would like to see more collaboration there and we're starting to kind of work that a little bit, but I think that's gonna be the key to actually um, addressing some of these healthcare issues. Yeah. Uh, talking about kind of like the economic development side, I feel like there's been a lot announced in the last year from like National Juneteenth Museum to like apartment complexes that will potentially have grocery store and other retail uh, in the bottom. Have y'all gotten to be involved in those conversations at all of what the rebirth of like Evans Plaza looks like? Yeah, I've been, you know, edging my way in yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> no, but we have, we, you know, I had a conversation with one of the partners of Hope Global who is, um, you know, trying to bring those apartments there. And we're supposed to have a meeting actually this week. But we've been having some initial conversations. Some of that stuff was pre-baked, right, before we mm-hmm. um, started. And so how can we help look at it from a lot of angles? Because the community still has questions, Right. Um, now, the National Juneteenth Museum is different. They, you know, have been such a partner to us and deeply connected and rooted in the work at Braver. And they will be actually sponsoring the uh, the dinner that night, which is called cool. Our Table Friday Night. So because they understand, right, that we have to do this together and that we have to bring the community in all of this new construction and economic development together. So hopefully we get everyone on board. Our goal is to have renderings up of the Juneteenth Museum of the Hope Global at the festival, because I want people to see what it is to come Mm. so that when we start to build and when they begin to break ground on this, these things, it isn't foreign. People don't feel like, where did this come from? I didn't hear about this. And then it's important to keep the community up to pace with the development because if you don't, you we know the backlash of, mm-hmm. of 
all the things, including the G word, right? Gentrification becomes the, the narrative. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. And what I'm saying is that we have to get in front of it to ensure that we know that black and brown communities, food deserts, medical deserts, they need economic development. That's how we're going to turn this thing around. But at the expense of the culture and the people is the is the thing that we have to navigate. Mm. And so I've been having those conversations with them. We have been um, trying to make sure community is front and center and all of that um, work. We need it, but we can't lose our people in our culture because of it. Yeah. I just want to make sure we have the dates is November 11th as the dinner. November 12th is the full shindig from eight. If you're going to run to 9 PM, if you're going to party to the end, that's right. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. what I would love to know, because um, I know you had some time. I mean, we started this podcast two years ago, all during the time of the mayoral race. You were running for uh, Texas Six. I would love to know is how did this play in your story? Was this like the next chapter, or did you go from man, I busted my butt on the campaign trying to run for uh, office to braver, or was there something in the middle? Like, how did this evolution happen? Yeah, that's a good question. No, Braver existed before the campaign. Okay. So doing Braver work, I've been doing that, um, you know, for a long time. Uh, that work is what called me to run, actually. So Got it's it. the other way around. Now, after the campaign was over, then we were able to kind of focus on putting the, you know, the nuts and bolts on the organization as a whole, because um, Leah was running also for Waterboard mm. at the time. So we had to kind of put a pause on it and then Mm. pick it back up after the race. But I can tell you this, what shifted me from doing more of like the consultant, um, just advocacy training work around race and racial equity was that I didn't see the work that I was doing in the boardrooms and the work that I was doing in those conference rooms trickling down fast enough. Mm. And so I got a lot of, I, I was impatient. I'm like, how long like I'm going to go and yes, am I benefiting? It was a great um, living and it was amazing, right? For me as an individual, but the work that I was trying to do in these organizations, these nonprofit school districts, black and brown people were still suffering. And it, it didn't seem like a lot of urgency to translate these this training, this new learning to actual practice. And so I wanted to go and be more part of the practice part of it more part of the community part of it. And so that that was my transition. And that kind of started earlier before the the race. So yeah, I just, that's my evolution, you know, back into the community is that I wanted to see this work actually happening on the ground. I wanted to see people eat more. I want to see people healthier. You know, my students reminded me that their families were struggling every day. And that biology wasn't so taught biology and science that wasn't the most important thing for them they (laughs) they thought i was cool and it was whatever but the truth is is that their fathers had been deported that morning Mm. before they came to class so that wasn't their number one priority and so that's what really you know catapulted me into saying i've got to get into the community to do the real work so gotcha gotcha and but this is the first phoenix festival is that safe to say okay so that's the first gotcha gotcha awesome awesome and uh well, I guess, you know, kind of my last question around that is, you know, we're also in election season. We're in yeah. voting or uh, voting. Are you guys doing anything around that? Or um, and I guess the election will be over right after the festivals, you know, so yeah. uh, anything you guys doing now around that? Well, see, that's the cool part about having ambassadors is that <laughs> they are all, they are in all of it. So right now, our ambassadors and some of our team members are at the March of the Polls um thing that's happening this morning kind of talking to people about the festival talking to people about the importance of um of voting so it's it's almost like it's it's baked in Mm -hmm. you know our our advocacy our work around lifting our community and voting is just a part of it right it's not the end of it it's a part of it and that's another narrative that i would like to continue to push is that voting is just a critical piece to changing our community. Mm. It isn't the beginning nor the end of changing our communities. And so, yes, our ambassadors are there right now, uh, March the Polls and um, sharing the word and getting people out and talking about voting. So absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending a Sunday morning with us. Uh, 
we're excited about Phoenix Festival and to see everything that y'all are doing and to, you know, hopefully get to come and join the community in that on that Saturday. Yeah. And, awesome. Yeah. And, and, and we'll definitely have everything on links in the descriptions. Uh, I also saw some sponsorship opportunities uh, for people uh, who are looking to do that. So all that will be in the description. Is there any last thing you would like to say? We forgot to ask yes. that you feel that we should ask. So, Go ahead. When you just said sponsorship opportunities, I, I want to say this because this is important. Our sponsorship opportunities are different because when you sponsor the festival, you provide free groceries for families. Mm. You provide free resources and free healthcare sources and free counseling. So all of our sponsorships, we're really trying to funnel it back into how much we can give back to the community. It isn't just to set up, you know, and, and pad our pockets. It is a sponsorship for us to actually get it and then provide resources for the community. So if you sponsor, just know you will be feeding families, you will be providing you know, essential resources for families during a critical part, you know, of the year, which is during the holiday season. So please sponsor and know that it's going to go right back out into the community. So I just want to say that. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for the time. And uh, we look forward to uh, more success as we become braver together. So yes, we really thank thanks. Uh, thank you for being on the 817 podcast. All right, so there was Sean Lasseter. Jimmy, that was exciting. Looked forward to that. Such a dynamic person. Yeah. Well-spoken. Well, just perspectives and just, I learned so much just speaking uh, with her for 30 minutes. Yeah. I wonder if she'll uh, run for office again with like redistricting both in uh, citywide and statewide. I wonder if that's something she'll look at again. You know, we're in District 11 now. Yeah, you and I are both just uh, like uh, Katniss Everdeen, isn't that? Oh yeah, yep, isn't that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And this is the Hunger Games. I mean, for. <laughs> <laughs> the mainstream media is totally, you know, that uh, the screen on on Hunger Games. <laughs> yep. Um, but no, I, I I could see that. Um, but ult- ultimately, though, I just see that she's super passionate and motivated about this. I mean, yeah. the fact that um, this has been something she's working on before even running for mm-hmm. uh, office, which I didn't know that. Um, but the Phoenix Festival seems pretty amazing. Seems like it's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately will not be here that weekend. Mm-hmm. So you have to. I'll hold it down. Hold it down, my dog. There you go. Hold it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, all in all, it was great stuff. Let's go ahead and dive into wins and losses. Um, Jimmy, what are your. Give, like, I got probably like two losses this time. And I'm going to like my win is even kind of a loss. But. <laughs> What is your uh what is your loss? Uh my loss this is like a couple weeks old now but um Coffee Folk incredible community oh. organization in West Meadowbrook they have their uh truck on the in the grass field next to Firehouse Pottery been there for like 6 years now um they're looking at expanding and they were looking at a place on Meadowbrook that has been abandoned uh, for a long time, as long as I've lived here. I think it's been at least 10 years. Um, And that had been zoned commercially this whole time. They want to turn it into a coffee shop with a market, really continue to build up their community gathering place identity that they have in these neighborhoods over here. And so... Our neighborhood association at the same time was trying to get this area rezoned back to residential. And even though Brian and Gina have been working hard on this, they've been doing a lot of their due diligence and homework alongside Chris Nettles over the past year. Um, at a city council meeting a couple weeks ago, Chris Nettles approved the zoning back to residential of that building while the med- the neighborhood association was also saying that they would love to see coffee folk in there but they still pushed for their rezoning so now instead of just like a change of use for coffee folk which is not a super difficult thing they are going to have to go through the entire rezoning process if they want to move forward still 
And to me, this is a major loss for promoting what people are doing in the community that is good work that is trying to build up an area that has generally been neglected over the last like 20, 30 years in the city and making it as hard as possible for them to actually accomplish the things that they're trying to do to benefit the neighborhood. So I am very frustrated for them. Um, and I, I just think that it is a loss for the neighborhood to try and make this more difficult on them. You, you ever, um, I mean, so th- here's the kicker 817 podcast peoples. All right. This is definitely a East Fort Worth Meadowbrook story. Like this would be the big story. We could talk about this for like two hours. Yeah. So like, <laughs> we have to make it a loss because we know our little neighborhood is not all of Fort Worth. But if you've never been to coffee folk, You've never explored Fort Worth. This is pretty plain and simple. Same yeah. if you've never been to Casa Azul, you've never been to Black Coffee. You, you, and you, the, it is truly a magical place in the east side of Fort Worth. And and it it's just a great curation. There's some things I might have little ifs about it, but it's not, I mean, like 98% of it, I love it, right? It's awesome. And this is the epitome of like localized entrepreneurs, artists, creatives working together to create a coffee space that's currently just a truck. So all of this happens outside in Texas weather where people come together. Okay. And so please check it out for yourselves. Um, I want, you know, I also think like, is the loss more Chris Nettles than the home association in some of this areas? Like where I'm kind of annoyed about it as well as like, I mean, Chris Nettles is one of the only few city council people who haven't reached out or haven't been on the podcast and we're Meadowbrook residents. We've asked, we've tried, we've tried. He doesn't respond. All of coffee folks things about it is that difficult to respond, difficult to happen. And so I just feel like he is, he is potentially really misjuggling one of his best assets in an area. Like if this happened in black coffee and, 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 uh, and poly and polytech area, this, this would be going crazy right now because that is such a more dynamic and bigger area. But he is fumbling uh, an equivalent of a like black coffee kind of community and a space in a neighborhood um, that doesn't get the 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 the, rec- the, the, the credit. Um, but I would also go with the Home Association, right? There, we got to, in its core, know that Coffee Folk is great for our neighborhood. And if that doesn't go through, or we're not doing everything in our power to lift them up. We are not being good stewards of our neighborhood. Um, so I agree with you. It's it's a loss, um, but um, definitely um, we could riff on that forever. Yeah, make sure, like, truly, if you haven't, obviously, this is like Mayor Matty Parker has not been to ca- Coffee Folk. Oh, really? Yeah, during the, the during the thing that you know, uh, never never been never mm. been to Coffee Folk, right? Like. How are you going to make a decision on something going to be business-led or residential-led and you've never been to Coffee Folk? It's been here for six years. Think about that, though. Think about how big Coffee Folk is to me and you as people in Fort Worth. Yeah. And and your mayor has never been. There's something you probably go to at minimum once a week. I mean, it really is the... Uh, it epitomizes the identity of the neighborhood. Um, I mean, when we stop by, like... Parents bring their kids to homeschool there. Like yeah. there, I no matter what the weather, like there's 30, 40 people hanging out there, bringing their lawn chairs, riding their bikes, walking. It's a really like the only walkable asset in the neighborhood. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if you haven't been, make sure you come support. They're open Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, it's an amazing spot. And I know that I will do whatever I can to help support Brian and Gina in this venture um, because I want to see good things happen in the neighborhood. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, let me go ahead and dive into my loss. Um, my, my loss goes to my first loss because I I had a second loss that was originally my first loss. I forget what we're, that was going to be about. But mine is just like the involvement of churches are breaking the law and endorsing 
uh, in elections. That is literally, you're not allowed to do what churches are doing all across the state of Texas. Um, Texas Tribune just um, six hours ago, while posted this story about how churches are breaking the law and in, and endorsing and uh, um, endorsing candidates in elections. And shout out to Jessica Priest. Fort Worth Report alum. Come on now, Jessica. For nearly 70 years, federal law has barred churches from directly involving themselves in the political campaigns, but the IRS has largely um, abdicated abdicated its enforcement responsibilities as churches have become more brazen about publicly backing candidates. They're not allowed to do this, but yet places like Frisco, um, obviously we have our Mercy Culture people. um, This is against the law, you know. If they're fighting about abortions and laws, hey, this is against the law too, buddy. You got to be consistent. Can't be a law follower where you want to be and a lawbreaker where you don't want to follow the law. So my loss goes to churches breaking the law and we should be keeping them accountable. Boom. Boom. My my win is a really cool feature from the Fort Worth Report on vertical farming in North Texas uh, and turning to that as a way to boost our food supply. If you're not aware, vertical farming is exactly what it sounds like. Instead of needing vast open fields that are spreading tons of pesticides and lots of space, you take that vertical, you build like one on top of the other, almost in these like hanging gardens. Um, It allows... Uh, companies to use pests instead of pesticides to control their farming. It makes it really increases vegetable production. It allows you to scale for year round production. Um, I th- like it's something that I have learned about in other uh, situations, and so it was really cool for me to see a feature on it in the Fort Worth report. Um, so check out that article about Eden green, um, which is one of the companies turning to vertical farms. And uh, yeah, I think it's something that especially North Texas in not the most lush of soil, uh, can really be looking towards to increase our food supply. Yeah, no, that's super, super awesome, super innovative. Um, you, you've seen a lot of that happening in big, dense cities, so it's mm-hmm. cool, too, to see that it's coming to Fort Worth. Um, my win um, is, you know, I'm going to make it easy, but it was the HEB coming to Fort Worth. I mean, technically, it's coming to Alliance, Texas. My bitter berryness about Alliance, Texas is coming back. I know for a while it's been quiet about how I feel about Alliance, Texas. But that's just so far away. I will never go to HEB up there. But it's cool that it's up there. Um, it's crazy to me, uh, like, seeing articles like that really cements the, like, hometown, small-town feeling of Fort Worth where, like, we're celebrating a grocery store 25 minutes outside of the city core. Um, (laughs) But I think it also brings into contrast something we've talked about before. We just had Sean Lassiter. You just listened to an interview from Sean Lassiter talking about 76104 and a food desert. Like, to me, it would be a big story if HEB was opening their first store in the 76104 and... uh, I mean, even I think it said 2024 is when uh, that one will open up in Alliance. So if we don't already have announcements about a grocery store coming to 76104 now, like we're looking at late 2020, 2024 or 2025 before we've got a grocery store in an area where we know that it is a massive need. So I'm hijacking your win and turning it into. No, I agree. It's I, I agree. It's like. Sure, it's a win because I'm trying to be, you know, equitable to my Fort Worth people who are probably happy up there and they're kumbaya and, you know. They got their tortillas coming. Yeah, yeah, you know. But H-E-B started as, like, you know, being something that was local, like, for normal communities. And now it just got into super trying to, like, only do the easy route. And that is, oh, let's go to these new places like Frisco and, and, and go into Plano and go into Alliance where, yes, the 
per person um, head maybe for income and what they spend money on is higher. But, you know, it's just, where's the mission, you know? Where's the mission and why you create grocery stores? Yeah. So it's like the Alamo draft house of uh, grocery store chains. <laughs> Um, well, man, um, are you doing Halloween? Are you doing anything for that? Oh, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll go walk around. We don't know where yet because our our neighborhood just, like, doesn't get a ton of trick-or-treaters or even, like, have a ton of houses that have their lights on. So we might go over to uh, Fairmount, but... I, our kids probably going to want to knock on two houses and then be like, okay, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm one of those houses that our lights are off. Um, and, uh, don't really do anything for Halloween. Never really did. Yeah. It's not my holiday. Yeah. It's not my holiday for shout out to all of you though, who love Halloween. All you Halloweenies out there. Yeah. 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 Um, well, enjoy your holiday. If you listen to the eight one seven podcast on Halloween day, go rock it. Um, also, don't forget November 7th, we're going to be at Hotel Dreiss spinning some vinyl from 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, would love to see you there. Our first possibly only ever 817 meetup. You got any vinyl? Depending on how it goes. Yeah. I've got a few. You want to spend know. some in there? I don't know if they would vibe with what you'll be putting on, though. I feel like it's you know, going to be I'm a ADD, really... So I'm okay. Yeah. It, 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 it could be like the podcast. You just, you just throw it in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there, you know. So so Jimmy will bring his collective. He probably has like a mint condition Star Wars vinyl he hasn't opened. And he's going <laughs> to bust it open for us. <laughs> or something crazy. Some Disney, you know, he has a Disney vinyl or something. Hey, we've, yeah, I mean, I've got the vinyls for uh, Soul. There's some good vibes on there. There you go. Look at that. Boom shakalaka. We're here. All right, so you, now you got it. We're going to have vinyls from all over the place. 817, baby. Hotel Dries, November 7th. Be Jonathan's there. never inviting you back again. <laughs> hey, he's actually not going to be there. He said he's going to be out of town. So that's cool, though. Because all rules are off. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be, like, really going. <laughs> Anyways, people, be good. Have a great time. And uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.